Hello, friends. This is your friend, Kenzie Dodds, and I am super excited to be here with my friend, Talia Nasi. Say hi, Talia. Hi, guys. So uh, Talia and I are new friends. Um, just in the last few months, I met Talia on Twitter and through some, uh, I, I think it was tweets about the talk that we're, we're going to talk about a little bit. But um, I was just really interested in some of the things that Talia has to say, and I'm super excited for her to share those things with you. But before we get to that, I want you to get to know Talia. So uh, Talia, could you just introduce yourself to everybody and let's get to know you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Talia. I'm a dev advocate at Split. And um, my background is mostly in testing and software testing. Um, I started out in QA and I've worked in automation and QA um, in places like Visa and then Forbes and then WeWork. Um, so I, I have a really strong testing background, and that's where I kind of found this passion of testing in production. Um, my favorite uh, language is Python, um, and I'm also like an office prankster. So if, you, if you've seen me in the office, like wrapping things or like playing with people's desks, um, I definitely... Um, I definitely like pulling pranks on people. So if I haven't gotten you, then I will. Don't worry. But it's kind of a crazy time right now, and I can't, I can't uh, get. It. No one can get into the office. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should like when when the office is back open again, then you can sneak in early before anybody else and just like saran wrap everybody's desks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For someone's birthday a couple of years ago, I wrapped his entire desk in newspaper. It was <laughs> fantastic. It took me so awesome. long though, but. That's that's super fun. Sounds like you'd be a fun person to work with. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Very cool. I am and um, like none of your tech starts working and <laughs> I I definitely uh, learned valuable lessons about locking my machine anytime I left my desk. You know, you learn that pretty quick on on the job. You get, you know, um, desktop backgrounds of my little yeah. pony and whatever. Yeah, else. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good stuff. Um so, Talia, um, so you actually started in the QA engineer side. Did you start with manual testing or did you start with automated testing on the QA side? So I started with manual testing and that was at Visa. And the reason was because they have a lot of um, audits and you have to document like all of your test cases and you have to document um, all of your findings. And there's a really kind of strict process of like, which test cases that you ran and which test cases passed. So it's a really like vigorous manual process. Um, but you get to learn a lot about the testing documentation that's expected for you to know. So like because of that, I can write a really great test strategy document and I can write a really great um, test report because of like that foundation. Um, and after that, I was able to have that foundation to be able to do more automated testing. So um, I started with manual and then after Visa, it was basically just automation. Mm, yeah. very. So the, the reason I ask is I almost got my start into uh, QA uh, when I when I got into things, because one of my first internships I got, uh, they I like barely slipped in. This guy was like, I can't give you a job, but I want you here. So I'll find you something. And they found me a QA position. And then uh, just through a certain happenstance, I ended up being um, a business intelligence engineer. That didn't work out either. But um, but yeah, so like I I um, I remember working with other QA manual testers, and they knew the product upside down, backwards, 
Like they knew so much more than anybody else about uh, the product. And um, I found that to be like really interesting just through their experience of testing literally every uh, case. Do you think that um, like, well, you kind of alluded to this, but your experience as a manual tester has impacted your um, empathy with the user or like your ability to understand what um, is important in the process of testing um, yeah. in an automated way? I think just like being a tester in general and being responsible for um, executing the test cases, like you're, you are the person who should know the product inside and out because as a, when you're a developer and you're, and you're implementing the code for the functionality, I feel like that's just a little part of a big puzzle, but when you're mm. writing end-to-end -end test cases or you're running um, integration tests or whatever the tests are, you have like a more big picture kind of um, outlook. So you are expected to know what's supposed to work out because you, in, in my opinion, like I think the, the tester and the product person are, should be best friends. Like you should know the requirements from the product person and you should, um, if you have questions, you should talk to them. Like, I always think that like dev and, or sorry, that QA and product should be sitting right next to each other. They should be talking the most. They should have the most meetings together. Like they need to be like in sync the most because you're testing mm -hmm. someone else's product, product requirements. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, I, you, you mentioned something that just made me think, um, about this. And so like with, with developers, um, we're lots of us are really proud of the unit tests that we write and we're like sweet like this this button is so well tested um, But then the the QA are like I don't care how well tested that button is the page isn't working I can't check out <laughs> like This is this is a problem. Have you ever noticed like a difference in the way that you view testing from other? Uh, developers and just oh, yeah. the way that they think about it. Yeah, absolutely some developers I've worked with will absolutely hates testing and they'll they'll just tell me like I don't want to write a test like I'm not writing a test for this um so I think it's just about like having them understand like you don't want things to come up in the future like you want to know that your product and your features are working right now um and you don't want to like be reactive rather than being like proactive and just like testing whatever you need to test now um, but yeah, there's definitely so many personalities. There's there's developers that I've worked with who write tests for everything. They write a million unit tests and a million integration tests um, and end-to-end -end tests. And then there's developers who like refuse to write any tests. Um, mm. Those are a little hard, but yeah. <laughs> they learn. <laughs> yeah. After working with me, they learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You you end up wrapping their desks in newspaper yeah, and yeah. whatever else more often. <laughs> exactly. Very good. Um, do you? Uh, I'm actually curious. So I I have some opinions on uh, where you get the most value for the time that you you put into when we're testing and and so I we we have that traditional testing pyramid where it's like ETE top whatever um, and and I kind of throw that away. I don't I don't buy into that idea. I um, and so I created what's called a testing trophy. And I I don't know if you've noticed that or or seen that before, but where um, End-to-end -end tests are a little more valuable than you'd see in the in the pyramid. Uh, unit tests are are still useful, but they're not the biggest part of the trophy. The biggest part is the integration tests. Uh, and I'm curious, like since you mentioned, you, you know, there are some developers will write thousands of unit and integration and end-to-end. -end. Where do you see the most value 
for the effort um, when we're talking about these different layers of tests? Yeah, I think you get the most value from end-to-end tests. And that's because you're thinking like the user, like how would your end user interact with your product? How is the end user going to go through your website or your app? So you're putting yourself in the position of your customer. Um, and when you do these end-to-end tests, you're, you're thinking in a different persona. So I think that's what gives me the most value. And um, I generally would spend more time on end-to-end tests than um, unit tests or, or integration tests. But you know, they're all, they're all important. I just think end-to-end tests give you the most value. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there that like um, a single end-to-end test is provides you with way more information, useful information than a single of any other type. Um, yeah. So yeah, that I, I totally buy into that. Um, so I, I'm curious, what are the uh, tools that you typically, well, here, let's, before, before we get to the tools, I want to bring up this um, other unique aspect, which is kind of the, the thing that turned me on to this idea in the first place. Uh, and this was your, your talk that you gave at Nordic.js 2019. And I, I think maybe you've given it a couple of times, but um, it's uh, testing in production. Uh, and I, this is marvelous that I don't want to mess it up. So I'll go ahead and let you explain what this is. What, what does it mean to test in production and, and why should people care about this? Yeah. Okay, great. So testing in production means testing your features in the environment that your features will live in. It means testing your features where your where your users will use those features. So it means not using like a dummy environment like staging and not using like a, a test environment. It means you're testing your code in production and you're doing it safely. Um, and the reason that you should do this is because I don't care if my feature works in staging. Like that's that's great, but I care if my feature works in production and, and that's what really matters. Um, so... I think a lot of people are scared and hesitant when it comes to the to this topic. But um, if you do it correctly and safely, and you use the right tools, um, it it really is super beneficial. Absolutely, and you know the I I think this is like brilliant. So one one of my biggest um, guiding philosophies for everything that I do with testing is uh, this concept that. The more that your tests resemble the way your software is used, the more confidence they can give you. Absolutely. And so, like, just by like, and, and the way that your test would resemble the way software is used is like you're a manual te- tester, like actually filling out the form. But we we don't do that. Like, I mean, people do that, but um, we um, want to automate this because it it scales better, right? Like, we can't just run every permutation on every change. I, I worked right. at a company where we did that every like development was shut down for two days. It was just, it was not fun for anyone. And, and humans are notoriously bad at that, especially developers who just want to get back to their regular jobs. Um, and so, yeah, so then we, we automate it, but as soon as we automate, we take a step away from that, you know, as close, you know, the closer your tests resemble the way software is used, but it's worthwhile. And so every, every step that we take, take away from that, we're, we're kind of trading off confidence for some sort of um, you know, ease or, or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, convenience. Yeah. Um, but like I, when, when you, when hearing about your idea of let's t- run our tests in production, that's like, yeah, sure. Why not? That, that there's no real value in actually running it in staging so long as you are using the proper tools and you're, you're testing safely. And so I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, but the, 
that, that gets us one step closer to the way our software is used, um, which exactly. gives us more confidence. Yeah, because your, your users and your customers, like they don't go into your staging environment and use your product <laughs> staging, like they use your yeah. product in production. So it just makes so much more sense to me to, to test in production. And, and I just want to note, like, I didn't know about testing in production. I didn't use it. I only tested in staging up until I had an interview at this um, at a company a couple of years ago, and they told me that they test in production, and that's how I like got into it because I started working at that company. Um, mm. But I, I was just like you know everyone else who like didn't know about this thing and was like so freaked out about it at first, and now I'm talking about <laughs> it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is just the way that we do it. Like, you you don't know that it could be better. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is just life. So I, I'm really interested to dig into uh, some of the the methods to this, and uh, I like hopefully we've established for the the people listening why this is beneficial. Like, it, it should make total sense that if you test in production, that's more more realistic. Um, so the the first thing that I want to ask though is how do you know it's safe to deploy code if you don't wait to test it until after it's deployed? Okay. Um, that's, I think that's probably the biggest question that I have about this. Yeah, um, so there is a magic little thing that's called um, feature flagging. And feature flagging allows you to separate your code deployment from your feature release. Um, so if you think about a bubble and you think about um, the specific people being put into that bubble and having your feature also being put in that bubble, um, only the people who are in that bubble can see that feature. So when you when you use a tool like feature flagging, you're able to target specific users to see your feature. Um, and you can test your feature and make sure it works and fix any bugs. And then once it's, um, once it's working, once you know that it's working in production, then um, like you pop the bubble or, or you know you turn on the feature flag um, so that the entire world can see this feature. And it really provides a safe way to test your code in production because if a user, if there's a bug or if something's wrong, your real end users aren't going to see that issue because they're not targeted in the flag. Um, mm. So this is kind of like a layer of protection that says, I'm going to give you a little bit of production space, and in that space, you can do whatever you want, and you're not going to affect anyone. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So, like, none of this testing in production would be a really feasible thing without feature flags. Right. Um, and but of course, this isn't the only benefit to feature flags. There are so many benefits. Do you want to talk about like why feature flags are such a good idea? Yeah, feature flags allow you to do so many so many different things. Some of the things that I've used feature flags for are just to have like a kill switch in case something goes wrong. So if I release something and, you know, I don't know, two weeks later, there's a huge bug and I need to kill that feature, I can use feature flags to turn that feature off. Um, I've also used it for A-B testing. So um, if I, I'm working with a product owner and, and, you know, he decides, I don't know if I want this um, product to work, you know, in this way or in that way. So we you know, do a, an experiment and we test both ways and then we see which one gives us um, a higher conversion rate. Um, you can also use feature flags to migrate your monolith to microservices, like do it safely in a controlled manner. Um, there's so many things, but obviously like, yeah. I have a testing background. I'm like passionate about um, the testing side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I um, Yeah, so uh, 
you have a blog post about this specific for React, um, and I think that it is um, for anybody who's not already used to feature flags. I, I think for lots of companies, feature flags are just like the, a fact of life. Um, but there's probably plenty of companies that that haven't done any feature flags before, and or maybe some people who are aren't really happy with the way they're doing it. So um, yeah, there's a, a quick. Uh, blog post that uh, we'll add to the show notes for people to, to take a look at to learn about feature flags. Um, so yeah, so you, you have the feature flags in place and for the um, the test, you just enable it for the test and the test can run with the feature enabled. Yeah. And then eventually the feature flag goes away and you just um, you know continue to test in production. Right. So something that I generally recommend to do is to create test users that will be in production and you can target them inside of your flag. So if you have like whatever automation framework that you use, um, you can automate so that your test user that's in the flag gets gets uh, the same treatment as like a normal user would. And then once you're done testing, um, once you turn the feature flag on, then your test will continue running in the same way because your user was already targeted in that flag. So you don't have to make any changes. You don't have to update the test because you you used the same test user that was targeted inside of the feature flag. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Uh, so another question that I have about testing in production is uh, what if, uh, like, so I, I, I talk about this, you know, the be better your test resembles the way software is used, whatever. Um, but at some point, you do have to mock things out. Like wh when we're doing these integration tests or end-to-end -end tests, we want to have some sort of mocking so that if I am testing the checkout flow, you know, I'm, I'm adding products to my cart. I've got like $2,000 worth of stuff in my cart and I go to checkout. I don't want my credit card to be the one that we're entering into that credit card information because <laughs> those are very expensive tests. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, what what is the solution for that kind of scenario? Because in, in a staging environment, you can have it point to you know a different Stripe thing or whatever for your testing. Um, but in production, it should be hitting the production Stripe or whatever credit card processing you do. So how do, how do you work around that when you're testing in production? Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so there's a couple of things. So the first thing is when you're working with third parties, um, I would say work with a third party and let them know, hey, you know, we're going to test, we're going to start testing in production. So if you get any requests from these users, these are test users, like don't actually like process the transaction or, you know, use another card or, or whatever. Like you can work with the third parties. Um, you can also set up like a header in the API request that you send to them and say, hey, like if you get anything like with this specific header, if you see this, like just mark this as a test or do whatever, you know, you can work with them to, to work, to make something that works for you. Um, I would also say if it's something that you absolutely cannot test in production, you can use a canary release and just release it to like a very, very small population. Um, and that you can like gain confidence in that and then slowly roll it out to everyone. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So like at, at some point you just, you, if you really can't make anything else work, then just releasing to a very small set of people, they can they can be your guinea pigs, and yeah. you know, like that's the best you can do in that in that scenario. Right. And, so then you would still use staging and test as much as you can, and then release it to production, but only to a very small um, population. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. And actually, I hadn't ever considered like actually just talking to the third party and being like, hey, we want to <laughs> test. Yeah, I mean, you're doing business with them. They like you guys should 
you know, work together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, very cool. So great. So we, we've got our tests running in production. Um, what a, what are some of the tools that you have used uh, to, to do these tests in production? Are, like getting down to the specific uh, tools that we're using. Cool. So for feature flagging, I've used Split and LaunchDarkly. Um, for automation, you, I mean, you definitely need to have an automation framework in place when you're testing in production. It's just the test, you're, you're in a really high risk environment. You don't have to, you don't want to have to test like everything, um, manually. So I've used robot framework, um, puppeteer with jest, um, and also protractor. Um, and then you also need a job scheduler. So like Jenkins or circle CI or Travis, um, and then some sort of like alerting system that'll alert you when a test fails. So like pager duty or like even just like a Slack message. Um, yeah, those are like the main tools that you need. Mm -hmm. Well, what is your preferred tool like for authoring these end-to-end -end tests? So for, for automation, like just specifically for the tests, I love robot framework. That's like my favorite testing framework ever. Um, it's just so uh -huh. easy to use. They have like a keyword driven testing approach. So even if you're not a developer, even if you don't know um, specifics of like syntax or, or you know, you're not, um, you're not a developer full term or whatever it is, like robot framework is so easy to learn. Um, and it just makes the most sense because you can work with product people and um, designers and they don't have to understand code to understand your test. So that's my mm. favorite. I love robot. Shout out to robot framework. <laughs> <laughs> it helps that it's implemented in Python, which happens to yeah. be your favorite language, right? <laughs> no coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, another thing that uh, that just popped into my, my mind, uh, like a challenge that I've had when I'm testing, like as I close the gap between my tests and the reality of the world is... Um, registration so like when i when i register typically there's going to be an email flow before i get an activated account or something um have you ever come across that particular scenario and how do you solve for that yeah so in that case i would not automate those flows i would test those manually but i would still create test users to use i just wouldn't automate those i see okay yeah that makes sense cool yeah in the, in the past i i typically um took a couple different uh different approaches like either uh just automatically um like enable those users or, or activate those users or um have the email go to some other service that automatically clicks the link or something but yeah it's always so much work yeah yeah we've done similar things where if we're testing in production like and it's supposed to send like a confirmation email or something, something is supposed to get sent to like the end user. We'll just write a little thing in our code that says, you know, if the request comes from this user, like don't send the email. Or once we test it manually a few times and we know that it's working, we'll, um, we'll, we'll put that little thing in there. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the testing, the, this is something, um, I, I think that sometimes people want to have a rule that's like always applies and it's perfect and we're in a perfect world. And as great as that would be there, that's just all a big bucket of trade-offs. Yeah. <laughs> it's either like a ton of work and maybe it's pretty flaky uh, versus like maybe taking a small shortcut to make it more practical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually like now that you said flaky, like I hate the word like flaky tests. I think like either a test like works and it does what it's supposed to do, or there's something wrong with the code or there's something wrong with the test. Like, hmm. 
I, I don't like why, why don't you, let's, let's dig into that a lot because I know that a lot of people um, think when they think ETE, they think flake. Um, and I also, I have a similar um, feeling around that as, as you described, but what are some of the strategies that you've implemented to make tests less flaky? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is to just make sure that your test um, runs continuously and it doesn't fail. So like if, if I'm a tester and I'm writing a test and it's failing for me, like I'm not going to upload that to Jenkins so that it can fail for everyone else. Like I'm going to make sure that it works for me and it works consistently. Um, and after I like watch the test run and pass, you know, 20, 50 times, then I'll upload it to Jenkins and it'll you know, run with the rest of the build pipeline. But um, if a test fails, it should be because there's something wrong. It should be, it should be because there's a bug or there's, you know, something going on. It shouldn't be, um, it shouldn't be the case where a test fails and everyone thinks, oh, there's something wrong with the test. Um, so yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, people end up ignoring the tests and, right. and uh, yeah, turning them off, <laughs> right. which is yeah. not what we want either. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right. Well, Talia, I feel like there was there was one other thing that was just like in the back of my mind that I really wanted to ask you. And and uh, talking about flakiness just got me. Oh, oh, actually, yeah. Here it was. Um, uh, I, I think that part of the problem with flakiness is the tools that people have been using in the past. I, I've never used robot framework before, but I've transitioned from selenium to cypress and that was like oh, a good a night and day difference yeah um so <laughs> yeah that, yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't know how many people are fans of selenium at this point um so yeah improve improve uh testing frameworks can help with that flakiness too and and another thing that occurs to me is that when i was uh doing lots of end-to-end -end tests in uh staging um I, I don't have a product anymore, so I don't do a whole lot of end-to-end -end tests um, in, on products anymore. But um, half of the time when the test was being flaky, it wasn't the test, it was the environment that I was working in. Yeah. And um, and it, we were always just like, well, it's staging, so who cares? But if you're testing in production, then that actually is really important information that the test can tell you that you've got a flaky environment. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. That, One of the things I talk about in my presentation also is that you're because the environments are different and because the data is different in both places, the test results will most likely be different. So if a test passes in staging, it doesn't mean that it's going to pass in production and, and vice versa. Mm. Um, the, the load also in production doesn't match staging. There's, there's just so many, so many uh, differences and it, it's just better to know that your feature is working in the place that your users are going to use it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, you probably have more resources dedicated to, to keeping production up. And so your tests are probably going faster. And then if they ever go slow, then you're like, oh, that actually means something to me. It's not just like, oh, we have a, a really slow staging environment. It actually like, oh, wow, something happened in production. Let's go fix that. Exactly. Uh, so just so much confidence. I, I love that. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, Talia, we're, as we get down to the end of our time here, is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we don't, uh, that we haven't gotten to here yet? Um, the biggest thing is I would say just like, don't be scared of testing in production. If, if you do it correctly and safely, it's, it's really beneficial. Um, and it, obviously like I'm here for questions. Um, and, and yeah, just, just don't be scared. Just, just try it. <laughs> Yeah. You, you know, an, another thing that occurs to me about testing in production or, or like, let's, 
let's pretend you're a developer today and you're like, I have no end-to-end -end tests. How am I ever going to do this? And the that's always the biggest challenge is like, how do I get started with this? Like, it's such a huge thing. But you already, like, if you have got an app in production, then that is the easiest thing to start testing because you don't need yeah. to worry about provisioning some weird extra environment or running it and see, uh, or getting some extra CI thing or whatever else. It's all just, no, it's just, you've got an app and it's up and running just start hitting that that app for tests yeah exactly and and if you have to set up an automation framework like robot framework and i know cypress also it's just like really easy setup so you don't have to worry mm -hmm. about um like extra time for setup and then like training people it's just like super intuitive yeah yeah it's a good good world that we live in now um all right so for the homework for everybody as as we just wrap things up here uh we have we have two items of homework the first is to watch Talia's talk, Testing in Production. It is a great talk. You'll enjoy that. Um, and then the second one is to read the, the blog post about how to set up feature flags with React in 10 minutes. Uh, that's on the split.io slash blog, and the link will be in the notes here. Um, so those are your pieces of homework. It shouldn't take you a whole lot of time, and I think that you'll enjoy doing that. Talia, um, what's the best place for people to reach out to you if they want to ask you any questions or anything? Yeah, um, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, um, you can do that. It's uh, just my first first name, underscore last name, Talia underscore Nasi. You can also email me, talia.nasi at split.io. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. This has been such a good time. Um, hope everybody's doing awesome, and we will catch you all later. Thanks, Talia. Bye. Thank you.